hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brendan Store. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 51, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing good, Brennan. How are you? Well, I'm a little worried about you because um, <laughs> you were we were talking about, about this earlier today. Um, I, I think you have been... Well, you were telling me about an app. Yeah. Uh, it, tell us about that app. Uh, well... Okay, so here in BC, uh, we have the option to doctors are in short supply. Yes. And so there's an app uh, called Medio, and you can download this app, and you and there's another like video thing they make you download as well. And then you just call it, and they say, okay, a doctor's going to call you um, at this time, usually in an hour or so from then, and then you're face-to-face with a doctor. Doctor. No, it, it's... <laughs> do, do, they, do they ask you to take pictures of... Parts of you, Ian? No, it's a video. Oh, so so this is chat roulette. No. I think, Ian, this is just chat no. roulette. Chat roulette that gives out prescriptions? That sounds pretty great. At <laughs> <laughs> no point did I have to remove my pants. Oh, okay. Well, what's the point then? <laughs> it was actually really handy. I was out of a prescription and I called them and said, hey, I need this. And they're like, cool. I mean, it's not a prescription for like, I have really bad back pain. Can I have <laughs> some, some Dilaudid? <laughs> yeah. uh, no, it wasn't that at all. It, I, I have never heard of this. I mean, I guess I, I don't need prescriptions very much though. Right. My body's more like going to explode at 65 <laughs> as opposed to yours, which is sort of like continually requiring Continual maintenance. maintenance. I have actually talked about this. Some people's bodies are like tractors, you, and other people's bodies are more like Porsches or no Ferraris, very high level Ferraris. If you liken your body to a Ferrari or it any is. kind of Italian sports car, I'm not the way you're thinking. There's no way that yeah, your is. body is. I have to be very careful about where I take my body. Right. I can't go off road. Okay. I require constant maintenance. Right. Special supplements. Uh huh. Medication. I can't have just any kind of fuel. I have to have certain fuels. I feel like this is more of a, like a poorly bred dog <laughs> than it is a sports car. No, right? I don't barf on the carpet or anything. Um, no, I, I did. I, I figured it out one day. I need the best, like the most expensive of everything because I, I can't function without it. You, on the other hand, you could sleep on your living room floor and wake <laughs> up the next day and be just fine. And uh, you're a tractor. You can like eat whatever you want. And well, close. Yeah. You know what I mean? Parts are falling off the tractor now. <laughs> Farmer John has not been very kind to it. The tractor has been ridden down too many ravines, I think, is the problem. Not enough. Um, and so, as a result, yeah. So, I said that to someone. I'm like, no, my body is like an Italian sports car. And they had a very similar reaction to you. But when I started explaining that it's because it's useless and <laughs> requires incredible amounts of maintenance and money and time to keep it going, they kind of went, oh, now I get it. Now I get it. So, you actually want to be a tractor. Well, before this metaphor stretches so thin that it snaps and <laughs> takes one of our eyes out, what's been up to? A different way of looking at it. I have been thinking about names for a future dog. Oh, right, because you're going to be getting a dog in September. in September. And I think I want to name it like a people name. Because it, Gerald. It, no, it's going to be a girl. Okay. Uh, but it, it amuses me when people talk about their dogs and they have people names, but they don't actually explain it's a dog. Right. I just think that's funny. So I want to be able to be at the dog park and be like, Brenda, get your ass over here. (laughs) Brenda, stop sniffing that dog's ass. I look forward to the day when a stranger hits you with a sock full of quarters. (laughs) (laughs) Or or what was the other name? Uh, Brittany. That was the other name. Jesus. Because they'd be like, what's your dog's name? It's Brittany, bitch. Oh, I saw that coming a I mile know, off. Come on, it's funny. Oh, and then, uh, I regret I've also, asking you. I've also been uh, chatting with my uh, new friend Glenn over in England because Glenn, who sent us some stories, by the way. Thank you, Glenn. Um, Glenn was a runner on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Most Haunted. No way. Yes, which is a huge show in Britain. I, yeah, Nick and I watched the first shows. four or five seasons pretty pretty steady through. I mean, yeah. that was back when you, 
you know, it was hard to get a hold of over uh, there, Right? Yeah. I know, yeah. So he's done some pretty cool stuff, and he, he's got a lot of really cool jobs. So that's I've actually really enjoyed our conversations. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's funny that came up because we, earlier tonight, before we came to the studio, we recorded our first, not recorded, we did our first live show yeah. for patrons. Like yeah. our first real live show. Yeah. Uh, which you can access by donating over $10 or more at patreon.com slash ghost story guys. I'm cringing. Yeah, that's fine. I have that same feeling when you say available wherever five books are sold. I'm just <laughs> cringing, but no, anyway, sorry. But, uh, we somehow most haunted came up. It did. Uh, Dennis, Dennis. Okora? Oh, I uh, know. We we're talking about Derek Akora. Derek Akora. The yes. big bony. Yes. Well, yeah. it, that is the story that he was, he was proven, uh, they fed him some bad information to see if he was just cold reading and apparently he was oh, or at least uh, a little bit i should say sucks. yeah it was not good but no. uh anyway so it's funny those two things came up it at the is same time. really weird so there you go how about you what have you been up to not a hell of a lot no it's been quiet i'm still unemployed excellent uh, I'm, but i'm taking the time to work on some writing as i good. mentioned on the live show yes i'm not going to specify here but i am back nope. writing so and that's very cool it looks really good thank you yeah, yeah you read really a little good. bit before we went yeah. on air yeah, yeah yeah so it's exciting it's it's uh flexing muscles i haven't flexed in a long time i you know, totally understand it's, it's that. fiction and yeah. i haven't written fiction in a while pretty so cool it's exciting it's good. scary but uh, i figure i may as well use the, the, all this t- free time 100%. for something productive instead of just staring out the window and worrying about money and petting your cats that too yeah. that too yeah no good for you the other thing keeping me busy this last couple of days has been the script for today's show yes uh this is something that anthony was really keen to put together very passionate about and so i'm excited to get into it this episode is going to be about cursed items or Ooh. haunted items yes things that uh, people pick up secondhand and turn out to have uh, something extra attached to them. Coming up after the break, stories of cursed items. Welcome back. As we said before the break, today is going to be all about haunted items. Mm -hmm. Luke and Anthony found some really great stuff. It's not just houses that can be haunted. And I think a lot of times people don't know that. And there are people who are very keen um, antique hunters who really have no idea what else they're bringing home. No, 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 no. And and this is why I've, you know, watched a few episodes of that podcast. Marie Kondo show. Yeah. And I like the idea of get all that haunted shit out the door. I did that. I watched her show on Netflix and I took the principle. Does it bring you joy? Right. Right. And it turns out I have a bit of a problem with shirts. Yes. You have a lot of shirts. Not anymore. Oh, really? Uh, no. Um, I had a lot of shirts. I don't know why. I would buy them secondhand, which was fine. And I'd see a shirt I liked to know oh, it's only this much. I'll buy it. Um, but I realized, yeah, no, this is out of control. So I predetermined. I was going to end up with six t-shirts and 14 dress shirts. And that was it. And I did it. Nice. Three garbage bags full of clothes. Really? Donated. Yeah. Wow. That, yeah, that's what's impressive. But, <laughs> but I did do that. I held them up and I'm like, does this bring me joy? Do I love this? No. Away it goes. <laughs> and you know, people give that poor woman static and I think she's great. I, I, I love the idea of being mindful about your stuff. Yes. And, yes. and because we, we have so much stuff. And Whether you live in a mansion or a trailer, we have too much crap. Yeah. Yeah. So the yeah. idea of, of becoming aware and mindful yeah. of things you have and letting go of things you don't need. Yeah. I think is such a great idea. Well, and we were talking about this earlier about the article, uh, where it really comes, the roots are from Shintoism. Yes. Uh, about once an article has been in your possession for a certain number of years, they believe it earns a, a spirit or, or something right. along those lines. So when people see Marie Kondo doing that, oh, tap the books to wake them up. Everyone's like, oh, okay, crazy lady. Um, there is actually some religious significance behind that. Oh, there sure. There is a belief yeah. that these items deserve respect for having served you, for having been in your life. And I think there's nothing to be lost by doing that. No, like I, I don't I, either. I think that's a really valuable thing because again, it just makes you, makes you slow down yeah. and appreciate the things that you touch on a day-to-day basis Yeah, because we just become so accustomed to things being there. Well, and I think that's how people end up. Like you can walk into a home and go, oh, old people live here. Right. Because the decor is kind of stuck. 
20 or 30 years earlier. Right. Because we stop seeing this stuff. Sure. We don't appreciate what we have around us and we stop seeing it. Absolutely. And then what's the point of it being there? Well, I know uh, back home at the apartment, Nick and I had talked about this last year. We took down all our pictures. Right. And moved them. Ah. You know, move them around to different places in the apartment. That's a great idea. And so I, I've got this uh, Edward Hopper print yeah. of, uh, I think it's Waiting, a woman waiting in a movie theater. I, I love Edward Hopper. Yeah. Very lonely stuff. Yeah. yeah very much up my alley. <laughs> people. Ugh. 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 No, it's it's like longing for people is where I'm comfortable. <laughs> uh, but uh, so anyway, so we, we used to have it in the hallway and it right. sat there for years. And finally we moved it above the kitchen table or the dining room table. And it's just so great because I can actually appreciate it. Right. You know, and, uh, instead Well, cause of, now you notice it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I totally understand that. Yeah. So I just love her. And I, I, my favorite thing is, um, and I checked to see if this was true. I read somewhere, if you put the subtitles on, um, there's this thing where it says Marie dot dot coos. She's cooing. <laughs> like she's just great. absolutely adorable. I've never known anyone in my life who coos. She's so that's, cooing. That's Ooh. great. Yeah, no, she's really sweet. It's it's really interesting. I think it's a really wonderful journey on self-examination. And, yep, totally. And figuring out what makes you happy. And I can tell you that if I owned any of the things in our bunch of stories here... They would not make me happy. No, I was going to say, I feel like if uh, if Marie Kondo had been around for a lot longer, yeah, yeah, yeah. some of these poor bastards who were about to hear about would have saved themselves a lot of trouble. Yeah, does this bring me joy? No, it makes me wet my pants. <laughs> does this bring me joy? Yes, I do. <laughs> now keep me in your bedroom. <laughs> Put me back. That's right. Okay. Into the sea. All right, so let's get to the stories. This first story is called The Door. Back in the early 1960s, Connie remembers her father brought home an old door that he found in a pile of debris from a recently demolished house. The door was in good condition, so her father thought it would make a good addition to their house, since he was in the midst of renovating the second floor. He used it to close off the parents' bedroom from the upstairs hallway. Connie describes the upstairs as having a crawl space that ran behind both her parents' room and the room she shared with her sister. The night after her father hung that strange old door, weird things began to happen. Around 3 a.m., Connie says, ooh, remember 3 a.m.? Oh, of course, Uh, yeah. Around 3 a.m., Connie says, we were all awakened by loud pounding coming from the crawl space. Everyone jumped out of bed. My father ran into our room with a flashlight and removed the access panel. We were petrified. But when he shone the light inside the crawl space, he saw nothing. He was even brave enough to enter the crawl space but didn't find anything out of place. Reasoning that the noise might have been caused by an outside tree branch hitting the house, Connie's dad replaced the access panel, and they all went back to bed. A half hour later, the fierce pounding began again. This time, Connie's dad even checked outside, but could find nothing that would cause the noise. Now we were really scared, Connie admits. And for the next week, every night the pounding happened. We were all exhausted. Finally, Connie's mom insisted that the old door be removed. She said she thought it was haunted. We all laughed, but she was serious. Connie's dad reluctantly took the old door out, chopped it into splinters, and burned it. And sure enough, the pounding stopped and never returned. Huh. Now, I I have to admit that I am still not adult enough to hear about pounding making you exhausted without <laughs> thinking something not spooky i i will oh, admit this such a pig <laughs> you know what this actually makes sense to me because if you were a person whose house was being demolished right and you saw a specific piece of it being taken away right to somewhere else oh you would be furious so you think that's why they attached themselves absolutely it wasn't ah. wasn't about the door being extra special i think it was about that was their house and even though it was now demolished to them that was still part of their house what a fascinating idea and they wanted it back I, i'm sure of it that I, that's what came through to me anyway yeah no that makes total sense while you were distracted by all the pounding <laughs> it'll happen <laughs> the butter dish this is going to sound ridiculous And it is ridiculous, but I have to tell you anyways. My grandmother gave me a butter dish a while back. Yes, a butter dish. (laughs) There is nothing special about it. It just holds butter. Or so I thought. One morning I was making toast for my kids when I went to grab the butter dish from the counter where I left it and it was gone. Absolutely nowhere to be found. Just gone. I shouted to my kids. They were still in the living room watching television, so they hadn't taken it. 
Without butter, there was no way in hell I was eating toast. Seems wasteful, but that's it, just me. Just put peanut butter on it. Right. Call it a day. <laughs> or eat it dry for Christ's sakes. Don't waste Well, food. no, we're not animals. <laughs> Without butter, there was no way in hell I was eating toast, so I went to throw it away. And lo, there, on the island where I had left it, the butter was back. I figured it was just me being absent-minded until it happened to my husband, too. That's cool. It was the same situation. He was making toast one morning, and it disappeared right out from under him. He called out to me in the living room, asking if I'd moved it, so I told him to wait a few minutes and it would be back. He didn't believe me, but sure enough, a few minutes later, there it was. That was four years ago, and it still happens. We just roll with it. What else can you do? Do you think it goes to some sort of alternate kitchen dimension? I like, was thinking Grandma that. needs some butter right then, so she grabs it to make a sandwich. It's like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, <laughs> yes, but with butter? Yeah, That is a mystery. Now, I do understand a butter thing, because do you know how hard it is to find the perfect butter dish? I have never in my life owned or cared to own a butter dish. No, okay. To find a butter dish that actually fits Canadian sticks of butter, because you know the little baby little American ones? They're like tiny cobs of corn. Okay. They're a quarter of our pound. Right. Okay. So most of the butter dishes out there are designed for those. Okay. So you want to find like a decent butter dish because I don't put my butter in the fridge. Okay. So I need it covered. Of course. It's really difficult. I My heart pleads for you. You're just mocking me. I am 100%. And it, uh, no, I get it. My sad vegan butter is in the fridge. <laughs> so I can see why grandma wants her butter dish back. I bet it's hard on the other side to find a good butter dish too. The medallion. When I was 13 years old, I used to ride my dirt bike out in the hills for hours, only coming home because the sun was starting to set. My family are proudly Native American, though not as spiritual as my grandparents would have liked, and as a kid I was pretty ignorant of spirituality in general. That was going to change. One bright summer afternoon, I was riding my bike along the crest of a hill when I spotted something shining in the dirt maybe thirty feet ahead of me. As I got closer, I saw it was a medallion of some kind, beaded with metallic parts along the thread. I didn't recognize it, but it looked cool, so I pocketed it and brought it home, where it went in my top dresser drawer. Of course, I never thought to mention it to anyone, because who cares about trinkets I find in the dirt, right? As it turns out, all of that was a mistake. It started that first night when I went to bed. Laying on my side, trying to fall asleep, I felt as though someone had laid down next to me. Whatever it was, it felt like it leaned in closer and started breathing heavily in my ear. I was frozen with fear, too afraid to move or look back at whatever had drawn close. All I could do was scream, and a few seconds later my dad burst into my room, pissed at me for waking him up. By then I was crying and tried to explain that someone had been in my room, but he didn't believe me and told me to get back to sleep. He left, but there was no more sleeping for me that night. Similar things happened over the next few days, and at night there seemed to be something pacing outside my window. I was scared out of my mind and had no idea what to do. Then my grandfather came to visit one day while my parents were out. Thinking back on it, I don't know if he knew they were going to be out or not. Either way, I made him a cup of coffee, and we sat together at the kitchen table. When my grandfather asked how I'd been, it all came tumbling out, and the first thing he said after he put down his coffee cup was, What did you do? The question surprised me, and I was about to protest my innocence until I remembered the medallion, which I then told him about. That made him angry, and he yelled at me, telling me I shouldn't take stuff like that because it doesn't belong to me. Just then, a heavy pair of antique handcuffs my parents had hung on the wall long ago flew across the room, almost hitting me. Right then, I went to my bedroom, pulled the medallion from my dresser, and got on my dirt bike. It took me a while to find the spot where I had originally found it, but I managed. I laid the medallion down, said a prayer, and apologized to whoever owned it before going home. Things calmed down after that, so it must have been the right thing to do. My grandfather was still upset, but he appreciated that I had put it back. Now I know better than to take things which don't belong to me, even if they don't seem to have an obvious owner. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so true. You know, yeah. we, we see stuff lying around and we think, oh, well, free. Honestly, I found this, I think I still have it, this eagle head thing Her. outside. And I, I brought it inside because I was dumb. This is before I had any interest in this stuff. Yeah. And part of me wonders if anything ever came along with that and I was just too stupid to notice. Right. You know, this, I don't even know where it would have come from. It was just sitting in the grass hmm. and I did the same thing. I thought, oh, well this, this is mine now. Yeah. Because we assume that a thing on its own. Yeah. Oh, has, I've done that. Has no, no awareness. Yeah. And, I, and as yeah. we said, you know, maybe it doesn't, but this idea of, the, we were talking about with Marie Kondo and Shintoism, the idea that things have sort of a primitive consciousness. I actually 
and literally just realized this sitting here, uh, had my own haunted object. Story. Really? Yeah. Uh, when I was in Toronto, I was a, in Bible college and it was a very, very old building, very old Bible college. And it had started with a bunch of people from England. And one of the things that had come over was, um, it was over a hundred years old, even back then. And it was a, an old funeral cape worn by a priest, very, very thick, heavy wool. And I still own it actually. And this cape was in the storeroom. They're cleaning up the storerooms, getting rid of stuff. And I'm like, oh, can I have that? And they're like, sure. So I brought it with me up to my room. And this was right before Christmas. This was like in December. And the building had always had spirits. And I've talked about this before. Um, that was one of the ways I knew it wasn't crazy because there were other people around to corroborate my stories. Right. But I hadn't spent a lot of time there completely on my own. But that year I wasn't going home for Christmas. Home was in Calgary, quite a ways away. Right. And so I was going to be staying in the school and going for Christmas Day with friends. And I had planned to go over to uh, another couple that I was friendly with for New Year's. And I was going to stay with them for a couple of nights. And um, so it was right after Christmas, uh, 26th, 27th. And um, I was in my room. And my room was just across the threshold of the new building. So the original building at the very top, it was a very old four-story house. Right. The four-story was where the servants would have stayed. There were three original bedrooms and a bathroom. And then there was these five other bedrooms that had been added on as an addition in the 60s. Right. I was in the one room right beside the bathroom, just across the threshold into the new addition. I was sitting in my room. Door was open. Why wouldn't it be? There completely by myself, quite late at night, 10 o'clock right. around then. And... um I heard the door at the top of the stairs in the old part of the building, the only way up, the fire door open. And I knew it was the fire door because it was a very distinct whoosh across the carpet. And then the little pneumatic thing at the top would go click, click. Okay. So it was a course, very, yeah. very specific noise. And I heard it whoosh, click, click. And then I heard footsteps and I thought, oh, someone came back early. That's right. cool. There was no sense of fear. There was no sense of otherworldliness. It was, oh, good, someone else is here. Because right. it was an uneasy place. I would go into my room at night, shut the door, and not come out. Like, it was that right. sense of, and whenever I could, I would go down the fire escape. I wouldn't go through the building. Interesting. Yeah. That's like the old office. We would go out through the- yes. um Yeah, through the parking garage. Through the parking garage. Yeah. So, same kind of deal. And I came out, and I flicked down the hallway light, which I was surprised wasn't on, if someone had come in, and there was nobody there. Hmm. I looked in every room. I then grabbed a flashlight. I began turning lights on as I went. Right. I literally went through the whole building. I got to the ground floor. No, it was still alarmed. No one had been through. Holy had man. I went back up to the top floor, went back in my room. Whoosh, click, click. Jesus. And the footsteps coming towards me. It would stop right at that point where the old building ended and the new building began. Right. It was at that point that I packed a bag. <laughs> Went out the fire escape door, right. walked down to Bloor Street, phoned my friends on the payphone and said, hey, you know, I was going to come stay with you in a couple of days. See, I'm coming now. Could you come and pick me up? <laughs> I'm not going back. Right. And they'd both been students at this college about 30 years earlier. Right. They came and picked me up and they're like, so what's going on? And I said, you are going to think I'm nuts. I was 20, 20, I was 20 years old. I said, you're going to think I'm nuts. And they're like, what's going on? So I told them what had happened and how freaked out I was. And they looked at each other and they said, should we tell him? No. Yeah. He was living in that same dorm I was. She was in the girl's dorm, which was another old house right next door. Yeah. She routinely heard high heels clip-clopping down the wooden hallways. No shit. In the dorm. Yeah, they'd been carpeted for years. Oh, wow. But she would hear the heels click, click, click on the wooden right. floor, which was no longer there. He, on the other hand, there he told me... Not only his own stories, but the stories of about 10 other guys who'd ended up sleeping in those dorms alone and having terrible things happen to them. They came home one, one time from a weekend, this guy had stayed, they found him in the cupboard curled up in the corner of the closet. Jesus. And he wouldn't come out. He didn't believe they were real. Like he never really talked about what happened to him. So long story short, I didn't go back until I knew other students were there. Right. And I strategically made sure I never was there by myself. But what just clicked for me was I hadn't really had any weird things happen until I took that funeral cloak. Really? And I had it in my room. Interesting. Yeah. And now I wonder why, because it seems like other people had experiences without the funeral cloak. I don't know. I don't know. And maybe it doesn't have anything to do with it. Right. But I think my own innate, I want to say shielding. Yeah. 
might have given me an edge. So I hadn't oh, experienced anything right. up until that point. I'd felt things. Uh, yeah, 100%. Right. Um, and I could go through that building and tell you where I felt it the strongest. But nothing had really ever happened to me. Right. Until that night. And that was within a week. So was it because I was alone? Or was it because I grabbed that cloak and something was not pleased about that? I wonder if I something know. sort of invested in that made it almost like a tuning fork. Yeah. 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 That makes hmm. sense. Interesting. So, yeah, it was a very profound experience that I never forgot. And and it was one of the first times I ever actually spoke openly about what had happened with people I didn't know had experienced the same thing. Right, right, right. Because, of course, in the church, that's a no-no. Oh, a big no-no. Right. So, for them to say to me, yeah, yeah, we get it. And they had both had experiences. Interesting. So the, the guy um, told me some like made me even more scared to go back there. Really? Yeah. Like he told me some pretty scary stuff. So, um, and he said, we used to bring street people in like to look after them, like to give them a bed or feed them or whatever. And he goes, and some of those guys were not right. And he goes, it wouldn't surprise me if they brought things in with them. Oh, sure. That's entirely possible. Yeah. 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 So it was a very disturbed place. They, uh, knocked part of those buildings down. Right. And they're now condos. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> fun enjoy those uh two and a half bath units friends because yikes because yeah, no. you got company you got company the filing cabinet maggie was known among her friends as an expert at garage sales every saturday she would hop in the car to cruise the listings of the newspaper looking for deals and she would find them little did she know this would lead to the most frightening experience of her life One August morning, she was at a particularly disappointing garage sale when she spotted the filing cabinet. It was unremarkable. Gray metal with five drawers and a lock. She didn't even particularly want it, but felt like she should at least leave the sale with something. So she haggled with the owner, and he helped her load it into her small car. Marie Kondo does not approve of this. (laughs) I feel like I should consume something. On the drive home, the car stalled, which Maggie attributed to the extra weight of the cabinet. When it happened a second time, she suspected her battery and had to call her husband Jeremy for a jump. It took three tries to get Maggie's car back up and running, and to avoid further trouble, he suggested they put the cabinet in his truck. The cabinet was heavier than expected, but regardless, into the bed it went after which the truck refused to start. He shamefacedly called Maggie back to give him a jump, and as they waited for the battery to come back around, they talked about the cabinet. He told her it must have a weight set or something in it, as it was vastly heavier than it had any right to be. She told him she was certain it held only old hanging folders and was proven right, when they opened the cabinet to find just that. Once they got home, the new item went into their mudroom, and Maggie promptly forgot about it. At least that is until the dream started. In her dream, she would come into the kitchen of her home to find a strange woman standing there. The woman was beautiful. So much so that Maggie thought she could have passed for a television star, albeit of the 1960s, judging by her clothing. The woman would be standing at the sink and turned around when Maggie approached. The woman's lips moved, but no sound would come out. And then she would become frustrated and pound the counter with her fist. These dreams continued for weeks, and Maggie became more and more concerned that the woman would somehow assault her and that she would actually feel it. She even tried to learn to lip-read, thinking it would help to get her some understanding of what it was the woman wanted, but all she was ever able to make out was the kids. Maggie was never a believer in the supernatural, but by this point, she was starting to wonder if there was a real person out there somewhere trying to make contact. In time, Maggie began to see the woman in real life. The first time it happened was when she was on her way back from the mudroom after taking out the trash. The woman was waiting for her in the kitchen, but appeared to be about 20 years older. She was wearing old jeans and a red sweater, and her black hair was tinged with gray, but otherwise the woman was unmistakable. Unlike her appearances in Maggie's dream when the woman appeared to be solid and tried to make contact, in the waking world she was translucent and never spoke to Maggie instead just holding her gaze. The ringing phone seemed to break the spell, and when Maggie looked back, the woman was gone. This marked the point at which the dream stopped, but the visitations continued, always at night, and always when Maggie was alone. 
The woman seemed to be trying to communicate something but could never make the connection, seeming more and more frustrated after every aborted attempt. Concerned, Maggie got in touch with friends who claimed to have knowledge of spirits, and they advised her to ask the woman what she wanted. So the next time she felt her close, it was in the living room, while Maggie's husband was asleep upstairs, she asked out loud whether or not she could help the spirit. The temperature dropped then, and Maggie felt something sitting on her legs. She panicked and ran upstairs to bed. That night she dreamed of the woman again, this time in her younger incarnation. She was in the kitchen and seemed to have been waiting for Maggie. She led her by the hand to the mudroom, then laid her other hand on the cabinet and smiled. When she told her friend about it the next day, he said there must be something in the cabinet that the spirit was after, so together they searched all the drawers but found nothing. That night, she was drifting off to sleep. Maggie felt an electric charge fill the room and suddenly realized she couldn't feel her husband next to her in bed. It was like he wasn't there at all. The phantom woman appeared in the far corner of the bed and was on top of her in an instant, choking her. The spirit's face was distorted in rage and repeatedly slammed Maggie's head into her pillow, finishing with a slap to the face and disappearing. In terror, Maggie woke her husband and through her tears explained what had happened. He had been uninterested in her previous stories of dreams, but could see something had shaken his wife to their very core and together they went down to the cabinet and began removing drawers. Finally, they found something they had missed every other time, a birth certificate. Maggie has declined to disclose the identity on the birth certificate, but claims it was a woman, and that despite her and her husband's best efforts, they were able to trace her to the house she lived in before she died, but weren't able to find her living relatives. When the pair gave up their search, the woman came back, lingering the corner of Maggie's room, though never again drawing close. One night in desperation, Maggie cried out that if the woman wanted her help, she was going to have to damn well do some of the heavy lifting herself. That night, the fire alarm went off, and when Maggie and her husband ran downstairs to find the cause, they saw the birth certificate in the kitchen sink on fire. Some unseen force inhibited them from dousing it with water, and eventually the whole document burned to ash. That was the last they've seen of the woman, though they're not wholly convinced she won't come back. And that's why you don't go to yard sales. Holy cats. Yes. So did the woman get like so angry with Maggie yelling at her that she was like, fine, we're done. I, I have to. I don't care anymore. If, if the story is legit, which I, I think it is because it came from a pretty solid book. Yeah. I, yeah, it sounds like that's the case. She just gave up. Wow. In frustration, she gave up. Wow. Which is... Sad. Very sad. Yeah. And why was she so desperate to be remembered? That And that's it. It's it, one of those questions that will never be answered, but wow. you just can't let it go. No, that's amazing. The filing cabinet thing is interesting to me, though, because when we moved out of the old office, yeah. we had in one corner of the room this uh, server cabinet, this huge metal server cabinet. Right. I was never so happy as when we paid someone to take that thing yes. away. What was interesting is when we smudged the place afterwards, because I worked for one company that left the space and was late and I was laid off. Right. And then I went to work for another company that went into the space after. Right. And what's interesting is that that corner was really, really heavy. Mm. And uh, months later, when we, um, at Alexa's suggestion, started trying to connect with the building. Right. We realized there's, um, it sounds goofy, but there's sort of a, a road, like a path. Yeah that cuts through that room. Right. Which means that thing was in right in the way. That mm. cabinet was right in the way. Wow. And it's almost like there is something about certain kinds of metal that hold on to energy. So it's almost yeah. like that's yeah. why it was so heavy in that corner because that cabinet. It's like a had, resonance. Yeah, yeah. Had been sort of collecting crud. Yeah. Of, as things pass through the building. Yeah, it makes sense. So I wonder if that's why this woman, not just a birth certificate, but if somehow the filing cabinet a lot like this is a, she was just able to manifest more densely because more of her had been caught up in that well and i wonder if something happened to her and the family just wanted to get rid of all the evidence and 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 get rid of everything she ever owned and just erase her in, mentally and 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 Maybe. from their memories and the only thing left was that birth certificate and that's what she would attach to if she wasn't ready to move on maybe that's she just attached to that birth certificate and was like 
this is it. This is all I have. This is the only thing left of me. This is the thing tethering me. And I need someone to know. I need, you know, I, I heard someone talk about sometimes the dead just want someone to hear their stories. That's all they want. Right. And once they do, they can let go. So maybe the, for this woman, that's what it was. The burning is pretty damn dramatic, though. Yeah, no kidding. Eh? That's, no, Very that would Italian. not be cool. Yeah. I am out of here. <laughs> the piano. For Dawn, her piano was always a place of solace. From the time she learned to play from a kindly neighbor who happened to be a music teacher, and all through her parents' divorce, playing piano was a place she went to take herself away from it all. She was 13 when her parents divorced, and 14 when her mother took her and her sister hundreds of miles away from her alcoholic father to a small town where they could start again. It took a while to settle and make friends, but once she did, she met Grace, who loved playing piano just as much as she did. Grace's parents had a winter upright in their living room, and the two girls would spend hours on it, playing, writing songs, sharing their lives. The two girls eventually ended up going to the same university, even sharing a room, and they became closer than sisters. Their shared quarters were too small to bring the winter with them, but they still managed to spend hours playing on the piano in the university's music hall. Sadly, their happiness was not to last. On a weekend trip home to see her family, Grace's car was struck by a drunk driver, killing her instantly. Dawn was bereft, as not only had her best friend in the world been taken from her, but it had happened on a trip she herself had originally intended to take. Grace's death took Dawn's life apart completely. She left her job, the room the two had shared, and then university itself, moving back in with her mother. It would be years before she was able to complete her degree. Her grief was such that she couldn't bring herself to see Grace's parents, even though she knew it was the right thing to do. Weeks passed by with the fact that she hadn't seen her friend's parents to offer condolences eating away at her, and then they came by. The three laughed and cried together, and that turned out to be just what Dawn needed. Probably what they needed, too. Grace's parents explained that they had been talking things over, and they wanted Dawn to have the winter piano the two girls had spent all those years playing. Dawn accepted, and the piano was delivered the following week. Immediately, she felt closer to Grace, though it took another week for her to be able to sit down and actually play it, and it was like coming home. Playing the same old song she had played with her friend, she could practically feel her in the room, and for the first time since Grace's death, Dawn felt like things could be alright again. Later that night as she was going to bed, Dawn heard the piano play. It was brief, short, sharp notes, like a cat had jumped on the keys before immediately jumping off, except they didn't have a cat. It couldn't have been Dawn's mother either, as she had gone to bed before her daughter and stayed in the room. The next night, while Dawn and her mother were preparing dinner, it started again, but this time it was music, the beginning to green sleeves. The two looked at each other but said nothing, and went on cooking. About a week later, Dawn left a framed photo of Grace standing up on the piano, and when she came downstairs the following morning, it was laying face up on the bench. Her mother denied having moved it, and Dawn started to wonder whether she was going crazy, or maybe, just maybe, Grace was trying to reach out. She stepped outside onto the porch of her home to get some air, and hopefully make sense of her feelings. She spoke to Grace out loud, telling her how close she felt to her, and how she knew she was trying to connect. Dawn assured her absent friend she would be okay, and that one day they would meet again, somewhere out there. Dawn cried harder than she had since Grace's accident. When the tears finally stopped coming, she went back inside and heard, one last time, the phantom strains of a song the two used to play together. Then the piano went silent and never played by itself again. Dawn still owns that piano, and her own daughters play it every day, their laughter a warm reminder of the past, and the friend to whom she was finally able to say goodbye. I love that story. That's a really good story. I mean, so much of the stuff we do is, uh, you know, terror, shadow people. That's just beautiful. But it's a really, really nice story. Yeah, absolutely. And nice that when Dawn was finally ready to let go, Grace was able to go. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Because I do, I mean, I know, well, who knows whether this shit is real or not, or or how much of it is, is accurate, but I think too much grief can hold someone. You know, prevent them from moving on. Uh, yeah, I had that experience with someone. Every time my friend would see his mother, everything would be okay for the first sort of 10 minutes, and then she would just start crying about the other son who died. Right. And that was their relationship. They would get together, they'd start talking, and then she, his mother would dissolve into this right crying mush over this other son that had died. And the other son died like 25 years ago. Oh, wow. But this is what would happen. And finally... One day he broke the pattern and he said, mom, you know, you loved him. And his mother said, of course. And he said, well, by not, 
by doing this every time, by not letting him go, you don't let him rest. Right. You got to let him rest. Yeah. And something went click and his mom said, yeah, you're right. I get it. And that was it. She never did it again. Oh, that's great. Oh, it was amazing. Good for her. But it was almost like she needed someone to say, just stop. Yeah. It's okay. But by doing this, you're holding this person here. Yeah. You're not letting them go. And it's bad for you. It's bad for them. You oh, know? totally. Like it's just, yeah. So, yeah, I, I get it. This next story is called The Clown. The following story is absolutely true. I consider myself to be a skeptic and have never really had what you would call a supernatural experience. This thing I'm about to share, I'll let you decide whether or not you think there is something to it. Usually after work, I'll wait around downtown for my girlfriend Amanda to finish her shift as well. On this particular day, I'd had a rough day at work, but Amanda needed to pick up some cheap work clothes, so we stopped by Goodwill on the way home. Yay, Goodwill! Sorry. (laughs) Clothes shopping for myself is boring enough. Watching someone else do it is excruciating. So while Amanda browsed Lady Slacks, I wandered off through the store to see if there was anything cool laying around. You told me there weren't any haunted trousers in this. Is that true? I lied. (laughs) (laughs) She likes to take her time, so I wandered a while and eventually found myself in an aisle of knickknacks, where some thoughtful soul had arranged every clown figure into a row on the top shelf. Even skeptics think clowns are creepy, so I pulled out my phone and took a snapshot of that weird row. Satisfied, I went off to check on Amanda, who was still in the changing room. I decided to kill some time by sharing the creepy photo on Facebook. And while looking at it, I realized that of the full shelf of clowns, one wasn't staring aimlessly off into space. It seemed aware, like it was looking at me. I don't know, whatever you want to call it, it creeped me out. So I went back to have a look. When I got back to the aisle, one of the figures that had been on the top shelf was missing. Guess which one? A quick search showed it had moved down one shelf to a space that was almost totally empty. It was facing the direction I'd come from, like it was waiting for me or had been startled when I noticed it noticing me. Yes, I know how that sounds. I picked up the battered object without much thought and examined it thoroughly, peeling back the tattered doll hair on an otherwise unremarkable plastic clown head. There was no discernible markings, dates, or copyrights of any kind. Though the red paint on his little boulder cap had began to bleed down into his forehead like a jagged scar. The figure itself was simply made of yarn, crudely sewn into an awkwardly sized body with little puffed nubs for hands and feet. It had been knitted around what looked like a clay or paper mache cube. I could roughly make out newspaper or some kind of writing through the holes of the knitted pattern, but none of it seemed particularly cryptic. A neon orange price tag was stuck to its bottom, 99 cents. Nothing special, just some cruddy bauble that was long forgotten and not really all that unusual. I returned the clown to the top shelf with the others and continued on my way. The chill hit me a minute later. I hadn't really considered the fact that it was the only clown that had moved, or that I'd found it in a position that suggested it had been interrupted. I told myself I was being dramatic, that it probably was just a coincidence someone had just moved that one clown. Maybe someone had seen me looking and decided to mess with me. I know I would. (laughs) <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. And that's a tough one. I, you know, I, I, it's, it's a, it's a cool idea. It's, yeah, I think that's more of a feeling. Yeah. Cause I, I'm not big on the idea of dolls actually moving. I, I think that's a bit too puppet master volume. Yeah. Yeah. And, and why would it? Yeah. That's it. Where's the point? What's it trying to communicate? Yeah. It's just trying to creep him out. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. But I get it. I mean, so it looks creepy in the picture. Oh, and clowns are creepy, as we've discussed. Clowns are the worst. Incredibly so. The Wedding Dress To give you some context for this little story, my mother collects vintage pieces of clothing and other antiquities, which she then sells onward. Every now and again, one of the items comes with a little something attached, which is how I was able to stay so calm during the story I'm about to tell you. It happened during my visit home from university during the Christmas break in 2016. My mother had acquired a vintage wedding dress, and had put it on a mannequin so she could take pictures for the auction. The mannequin was then put into the spare bedroom slash storage room and left alone until it was time to transfer it to the buyer. Because of concerns about condensation, my mother always leaves the door to the spare room open. Okay, this is just a bad combination Yeah, yeah, (laughs) terrible idea. (laughs) Nothing good will come from this. 
Now, our house is laid out in such a way that I have to pass by that room to get from my room to the rest of the house, and it was on one such trip, I think I was going downstairs for a drink, that I saw the woman. She was sat on the bed, wearing the dress, while next to her it was still on the mannequin. She was weeping silently. She wasn't your stereotypical translucent movie ghost, but she still looked unreal, as if she wasn't really there. The best description I can come up with is as though she had been printed on acetate and placed over the image of the spare room. I saw her very clearly and stared for a good few seconds before leaving. When I got downstairs and told my mom her dress was haunted, she laughed and said she knew she'd also seen a weeping woman. Boring. (laughs) On my way back upstairs, I intentionally avoided looking into that room, but I could feel the weeping woman's gaze on me. An hour or so later, I needed to use the bathroom, so I passed the room and saw her again. This time she looked up and, it's hard to describe, maybe rushed at me? It was shocking, but there wasn't any evil intent behind it. She was just sad and lashing out. So I said the most British thing ever, which was something to the effect of, excuse me, this is my house, and that was very rude of you. <laughs> that is a very British That's very British. You're mad. <laughs> I do not appreciate this. I said good day. Good day. The spirit never appeared to me again during that visit. And it the wedding was also British. Suitably chastised. <laughs> And the wedding dress was gone by the next time I came home. Huh. I, I love that the mom's just like, oh yeah, yeah, I know. Another crying ghost, yeah. boo-hoo. <laughs> Mark it up, sell it off. That's it, get out of here, Miss Havisham. Ben's <laughs> got literary jokes. <laughs> I'm impressed. Thank you. You're welcome. The bed. When I was 11, I lived with my family in an adobe-style home built, I think, in the early 1900s. I had two older brothers, and as sometimes happens in families, I got their hand-me-downs. Eventually, this came to include a mattress, when my father bought a couple of new ones. We didn't have enough money for new mattresses all around, and I was okay with a used one. After all, it was new to me. Gross. At first, I slept really well on the new mattress. But after a while, that changed, and my sleep became broken. It got especially bad one night when I was trying to get to sleep and had the blanket over my head. I felt something rubbing the cover with its hand, and since the the blanket was thin, I tried to look through it. That was a mistake. There was a small man, maybe two feet in height, trying to get the cover off of me. That was just the beginning. Somehow, I fell asleep, but around 2 a.m. was awakened by what felt like a bunch of hands pushing upward from inside the mattress. Fuck that. It scared the hell out of me. I started praying. I wasn't religious, but I was desperate. Then my brother, who shared the room with me, started laughing in his sleep, but it wasn't his usual laugh. You might say it was a dream, but I felt something poking me in the ribs from inside that mattress that wasn't there in the morning. The pain in my ribs was there, though, so don't doubt that it was real. I just have no idea why. What the hell was that story about? Uh, Dude, I don't know. Like a haunted mattress leprechaun? Like, (laughs) what is that even? I wish I knew. Get off of me, pot of gold! (laughs) That's crazy. That is really crazy. (laughs) Give me back my mattress. (laughs) I mean, the hands inside the mattress thing, I kind of think may have been, uh, or could have been, what's it called? Hypnagogia? Where you're, uh, where you, you have sensation as you're waking up. Yeah. You know, because it can feel like hands on you or things like that. So maybe that was just that, you know, he's waking up. But the brother laughing in his sleep that wasn't his laugh, not okay. As I've said before, laughing in your sleep is, that's grounds for divorce. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's a bit strong, but yeah. Mm, You wouldn't say that if you'd heard it. (laughs) The night concerts. All my life I've wanted to own a piano, but over the years, circumstances, mostly financial, conspired against it, and I figured it was just one of those things that was never going to be. Then one day, out of the blue, it happened. My son David operates a salvage and hauling business, and usually most of what he sees is just junk, but one day he actually found a working piano and brought it home to me. It needed a good cleaning, but I could do that easily enough, and once the piano was polished up, it became one of my prized possessions. I set it up in the enclosed front porch of my house, and it sat there, loved and taken care of for several uneventful years. Then one October night, I was babysitting my granddaughter when I heard, from the porch, the sound of the piano playing. There was no real tune, it was just random notes, but it was playing for almost 15 minutes before I decided to get up and investigate it. Okay, that's a long time. Yes. 15 minutes? Yes. I'd be up within three notes. <laughs> I, what the hell is this that? This is very lazy. I don't own a cat. <laughs> Something <laughs> bad is happening. Before I decided to get up and investigate. 
My assumption was mice had gotten into it and were monkeying around, but the second I stepped out onto the porch, it all stopped, and there was no evidence inside to indicate anyone or anything had been there. A few weeks later, it happened again, this time around two in the morning. It woke me out of a dead sleep, but this time, instead of staying as random notes, it became a tune. It stopped and started a few times, but it was still definitely a song, like someone was practicing. It's a hobo doing chopsticks. <laughs> My daughter finally heard it too when she was over visiting, and I'll tell you, I practically cried with relief when she did. My daughter-in-law actually came to me in tears because she'd heard it, and I had to calm her down by telling her about my own experiences. The piano eventually had to go, though not because of the ghosts. The weight of it was starting to collapse my porch, which is a lot scarier. <laughs> I left it outside with a free sign, and an elderly couple came by before long and adopted it. I often wonder if it's performed any late-night concerts for them. They're dead now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They have died of fright. <laughs> Enjoy the haunted piano. What? Enjoy the piano. <laughs> Enjoy the piano. <laughs> okay. That was weird. Wasn't that weird? That was weird. Two weeks later, dun, 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 dun. Which of the kids is getting the piano? <laughs> the story just continues. kills people throughout history. I love it. So the piano's like John Wick. Oh my God, you just gave me my next book. The piano. It's going to happen. That's better than Deathbed. The bed that kills people. <laughs> is that a movie? Yes. I, sorry, I think it's Deathbed, the bed that eats people. Uh, I'm a bit hokey. You, you think? You think the tagline for Deathbed is a little hokey? A little bit. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> this piano thing's going to be huge. And this is going to be our last story. The painting. My parents have been in the import-export business since I was a young child. Their fields of expertise are antiques and fine wine, though nowadays they deal only in antiques. It started with my Russian-born and American-raised mother, who always had a love of the old and unusual in both artwork and furniture, and that seems to have rubbed off on me some. Like many people in their industry, my parents would cruise auctions and estate sales in search of valuables for the business, and it was rare for anything to come home with them. If it did, it meant the item was out of the ordinary, or they'd taken a shine to it. My childhood home looked like a combination of a Moroccan souk and a lunatic's yard sale, but to me and my brothers and sisters, it was pretty cool, and I made some great forts. When I was eight, they brought home the only piece that ever upset me, a painting. It was unsigned, and even after years of trying to identify the artists, were no closer to identifying the original artist or their subject. All we know for certain is that the family who had listed the painting for sale had found it, along with some other 50 pieces of miscellaneous housewares, left behind by the previous owner of a home they had just purchased. For whatever reason, they didn't like these items, and they'd been sent off to auction. In addition to the painting, my mother had also purchased a sideboard she had been told was empty. But when we got it home and opened, it turned out to be full of silverware and plates of various ages. We had no idea why they would have identified the sideboard as empty when it was plainly not another mystery. The painting is of a woman, perhaps 30 years of age, though it's hard to know for certain. She's wearing a long blue-gray gown and standing on the veranda of an old house. Next to her is a table on which is a tea set and kettle, along with what looks like either cake or sandwiches. There are also some flowers, a chair, and part of a window. Judging by the gown the woman wears, we estimate it was painted sometime around the turn of the 20th century. My mother decided to hang it in the hallway next to my parents' bedroom, between the main bathroom and my father's tiny office, and it bothered me from the very start. The hallway was always on the cool side, but still comfortable. After that painting went up, the area immediately near to it became cold, ice cold at times. Passing the painting was enough to give me goosebumps on any exposed skin. Eventually, I started feeling as though the woman was watching me. I wasn't the only one who had issues with the painting. My twin sisters admitted that looking at it made them uncomfortable, and my baby brother David would walk on the opposite side of the hallway whenever he had to pass by it. He was around five or six at the time, and if anyone asked him why he never walked close to the painting, he would say he didn't like the lady, and that looking at her made him cold. Before long, things progressed beyond feelings in the hallway. In the dark of night, we would hear whispers. Even in the light of day, we began to see flashes of blue-gray at the edge of our vision, and phantom touches in the hallway when no one else was around. Now, I should say that the notion of a haunting wasn't exactly new in our house. We'd had our fair share of spooky things happen, but when you live in a haunted house, you achieve a sort of equilibrium with it and come to understand what it's up to. 
These things were very different than what we'd come to expect, and were not of the house, if you understand my meaning. My parents were relatively uninterested in the whole affair, until, that is, my father, a big man at six foot five and 350 pounds, felt a cold hand run up his back when he was in the shower. After that, things deteriorated fast. David was tripped on the stairs and pushed by a cold hand when he tried to get back up. The big fern we kept in the hall next to the painting, a plant our family had kept alive for more than 20 years, started dying. As an experiment, we moved it away from that spot, and sure enough, it began to come back to life. It's still around my parents' house, though the side that had been nearest the painting never fully recovered. The branches grew back funny. Our dogs, both terrier crosses, and as placid as an animal gets, couldn't pass the painting without whining or growling at it, and whenever we looked after our aunt's poodle, Min, we had to carry her whenever she needed to pass it. Eventually it started slipping off its hooks and onto the floor, and our cats would claw the hell out of it until we put it back up. That started happening every night. In the mornings, the painting would be on the ground, leaning against the wall. That was the last straw for my mother. She was a very spiritual person who was open to the paranormal and quite content letting the house's resident spirits hang around. But this was next level, and she was done. The painting was sent to auction and purchased by someone my mother knew. She heard through the grapevine that they too heard whispers and had issues with their cat wanting to rip it to shreds, and so they gifted it to a neighbor. The neighbor then sold it on shortly thereafter, as her dog felt the same way about it ours had. From what I understand, that painting was sent back and forth to the auction a number of times in the years that followed. In 2014, it was purchased by an art collector in Florida who was ignorant of its history. He did what he could to research the original artist and found out that it may, may have been, a depiction of the artist's wife who died young. But I don't know how true that is. The last I heard was that the collector had relocated the painting to a lockup in his basement after it had frightened his grandchildren. I've also heard that he knows something about the painting isn't right, and refuses to sell it, because it would be unfair to pawn off on an unsuspecting buyer. He is apparently elderly, though, and I wonder what will become of it when he passes. Holy man. Yikes! I sort of imagine those poor old folks who took the piano are going to get the painting, too. <laughs> I know things have been bad since we got the piano, but I got you this lovely painting. <laughs> oh, Cyril, you shouldn't have. <laughs> Let's hang it over the bed. <laughs> Zool. <laughs> Jesus. I don't think that painting would be in my house that long. No. No. I mean, some of these stories are so intense. Yeah. They're almost hard for me to believe. You know, they're so, especially the thing with the fern. I mean, it's, it's not impossible. I mean, we talked about, you have firsthand experience of a house where the small animals started to die. Yeah. So it, it's believable. Yeah. It's just so extreme. But you live in a haunted house, which, you know, I did in, in New Brunswick and you just sort of accept it. Right. These things don't all happen in the same day. Right. And when you're hearing the story, it's like, oh my God, but they don't all happen in the same day. Of course. They happen in bits and it's kind of a straw that broke the camel's back kind of thing. And I think that's kind of what was going on here. Right. These odd little things all equal up to something much bigger, but at the time, especially if you don't talk about it, they, she said we, they didn't talk about it until later. Right. They felt uncomfortable and you know, so I get it. But honestly, with what I know now and how I feel now. The minute that thing came into my house, it'd be like, nope. Nope. Hell no. Take it back. Go. <laughs> and take your ghost with you. This HP Lovecraft plant wilting shit. <laughs> no, sir. Not on my watch. I said good day, sir. That's right. All right. So that's going to do it for haunted items. Before we go to the break, I just wanted to make sure we shouted out our sources, which we forgot to do at the beginning. Mm -hmm. We used, among other things, Haunted Objects, Stories of Ghosts on Your Shelf by Christopher Balzano and Tim Weisberg. It's a bit like Elf on Your Shelf, but really more unpleasant. But much worse. <laughs> much, much worse. And Haunted Objects by Evan Sims. Both of which are solid books, but if you're looking to pick one up, I really do recommend the Balzano book. Um, I actually uh, met Chris Balzano via email briefly. Oh, cool. He was booking for, I think it was Spooky, pardon me, Spooky South Coast, which actually I think Tim Weisberg is the host of. Oh, okay. And uh, he sent me an email asking if I wanted to do the show, and I, I was actually just reading his uh, Ghost of the Bridgewater Triangle book. And I thought, oh, holy shit. <laughs> so I said, yeah, yeah, I'll do the show, of course. And by the way, I really like your books. 
And he said, you know, this is the first time a guest has said that. So thank you. <laughs> and then did you do the show? I did. Yeah. No, Spooky South Coast was really cool. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. No, they were, uh, they were great. One of the, one of the great shows I did actually, I'd love to, love to do that again sometime. Nice. Maybe, maybe on the next book. Nice. All right. So we'll be right back with our patron shout outs and listener mail. Welcome back. All right. So thanks as always to our researchers, Luke Greensmith and Anthony Germain for their help on this episode. Not just help. No, they're the practical <laughs> content creators on this it. one. Good job, guys. Yes. And if you want to hear what those guys sound like, we just did a bonus episode with them Yeah, where they are, uh, Anthony was actually in the studio with us yeah. and Luke was uh, joining us via Skype. So that's bonus episode number seven, a guide to recognizing your ghost story guys. Yeah you want to hear what those guys sound like. And we're actually hoping to get them more involved on bonus episodes in the future. It's just uh, lining up schedules is a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> Before anything else, we'd like to give our patron shout outs. Yes. We'd like to thank all our patrons, of course, but we'd especially like to thank our new patrons. They are Alyssa Dunn. M. Hamilton. Tiffany Reynolds. Bobby Papia. Becca M. Lauren Pippen. Thank you so much, guys. Your support helps us keep the lights on, help us, uh, helps us pay for new equipment. Yeah, absolutely. We managed to send Luke a new microphone. Which was amazing. His upcoming Luke Lore episodes. The miracle of international Amazon. Oh, so good. So great. If you want to support us over at patreon.com slash ghost story guys, you get access not only to the bonus material yep. that we put out every week or sorry, every two weeks, yep. you get uh, exclusive, we call it the water cooler where we talk about... Things we've been doing, food we've been eating, movies we've been watching. Yeah. Uh, so you get access to that. You also get early access to the shows up to two days early. And starting February, you will get access to the Luke Lore yes. episodes in which Luke spends five to 10 minutes exploring a different aspect of folklore and telling you all about it. The one that's coming up is going to be on the Wendigo. Wendigo. The Wendigo. So cool. Yes. I, I've actually heard it. Uh, yeah. I've heard his first pass. It sounds yeah. really good. Yeah, it really does. So I think you guys are going to like that. And of course, if you go above that for $10, you get access to our monthly live show. You also get exclusive ringtones. And if you go up to the $20 level, you get all of that plus. Plus a, what? Plus a digital copy of Ian's smash hit 1995 <laughs> Christian country album, Aware of Wonder. In addition to Ian's album, you also get three signed art cards of my night photography. Which are beautiful. The print job. Oh my gosh. Oh, they did such a great job. So again, if you want more details, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. Now it's time for some listener mail. Boo! Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you! All right. So thank you this time around. Now, these, these are the people who've emailed us since we released the last episode Tuesday. Yeah. So this is four days? Yes. Uh, I can't believe it. No. So thank you so much for your emails. Sarah, Lindsay, Andrew, Rin, Teresa, Johanna... Holly, Edie, Caleb, Melanie, Julie, Michelle, Jenna, Glenn, Cassie, Maddie, Anne, and Margaret. Thank you all so much for your messages, your stories, your kind words. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, if you want to reach us, send us a message to ghostthreeguys at gmail.com. We read every message we get. We do. Ian responds to all of them. I do. Uh, because I am not allowed because I take too long. <laughs> or you say really inappropriate things. Or that, or that. Most, <laughs> mostly that. Mostly that, if I'm honest. And uh, we will be planning a listener stories episode, I think, for April. Yeah. So if it makes sure to get your stories in before then, and uh, you know, we sort of always play the ghost, the Ghostbusters bumper. You know, uh, we are ready to believe you, but that's very true. Yeah. So if you're thinking to yourself, "Man, this sounds crazy," yeah. but yeah. well, we're your guys. Yeah, we're happy to hear it. The thing is, the more stories you send us, and the more experiences you share with us, the more we learn, and that actually helps everybody. Because when people come to us and go, "I don't know if this is," real or I think this is crazy. We're able to say, no, we've heard this before. This yep. is not crazy. That's it. So, um, you're actually helping other people just by sharing your own story, believe it or not. Absolutely. So thanks again, everyone who got in touch. So what do we have coming up? Um, nothing crazy. You've got two ghost walks in two February. Two ghost walks in February. That's it. And of course, last Saturday we cut an instrument, pardon me, last Saturday we cut an interview with Paul from Mysteries and Monsters. Yeah. Now I think that's going to launch 
probably, he said about three weeks. Okay. We've had a lot of questions about it. Yeah. 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 I, I think it was a great interview. Actually. It was probably more candid. Yeah. Uh, than, than maybe he expected. We didn't talk about ghosts so much. We talked a lot about podcasting and, yeah. and what it's sort of, Paul what it's meant great. to us. Paul was great. I like, I like that. He, oh, I had a ton a of fun, fun talking to Paul. Yeah. We, it's a shame we were under the gun time-wise. Yeah. Because I would have liked to have spent more time talking to him. Yeah. But uh, hopefully we get another shot. He's going to get really famous and then ignore us. <laughs> Aren't you Paul, you jerk? I see you there. We're already mad at you. That's right. He should know why I'm mad. That's right. <laughs> So yeah, we'll let you all know when that, uh, when that episode drops. My interview with Miami Ghost Chronicles was finally released. I did Good. that last year and it's out now. And we've linked that on the Facebook page yeah. and I'll also include a link in the show notes. Something I keep forgetting to mention is, uh, we get a lot of compliments on the show about the music. And, uh, although we didn't have a musical guest this week, we tend to have, you know, usually one every other episode. Mm-hmm. And I have created a Ghost Story Guys soundtrack on Spotify. That's so, cool. So if you search for Ghost Story Guys, you'll find there it's a playlist. I think it's about 17 or 18 songs long at the moment, but it's uh, every song currently available on Spotify that we've had on our show. That is awesome. Yeah. Again, that's over on Spotify. Just search for Ghost Story Guys and you'll find it there. The other thing that's kind of exciting is we're going to be starting, uh, not now, but soon, a Ghost Story Guys a book club. Yeah. So every we're going to have a, a recommended reading list of paranormal stuff that we think is worth your time. And then we're going to also have, uh, we think what it's shaping up right now, a book of the month. Right. So something every month that we recommend, uh, and maybe we'll talk about it on the show. We're sort of in the process of making this happen. Uh, Sarah from the Resolution Unknown podcast is helping us out. Thank you, Sarah. Yes. Thank you so much. She's had to sort of parse my huge volumes of, of like, no, this is what I want. And this thing. I'm very particular. I'm very (laughs) difficult to work for, to work with. He really, really is. Yeah. I I, I swear it's rewarding. It's just not easy. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, we'll let, so we'll let everyone know when that launches. We're pretty excited, but I guess that's going to do it. I think so. Yeah. Getting late. So time to hit the long and dusty before they toss us out of this place. That's right. I got to go to work tomorrow. Uh, Poor bastard. We'll be back in two weeks with another show. And until then into the darkness we go. not sure which of us is worse you i'm thinking you i think i'm drunk on chicken <laughs> yeah i know that'll happen i i've learned after the nathaniel kiki thing my words have power i need to be careful <laughs> i love your kids they're great fuck they're you so polite because you put a lot of pressure on yourself no <laughs> no anxiety no pressure everything's cool that's totally fine it's fine i, I go with the flow i'll kill you i'm so happy i'm so happy <laughs> Well, Brandon, why are you grinding that fork into the palm of your hand? Shut up! Makes me feel good. Because <laughs> I need to feel something. <laughs> Other than rage. That's right. Physical I, paragon of <laughs> masculinity. and Yeah, okay, sure. You go with that. Also, I drink heavily. <laughs> You'd have to. Yes. Um, when it happened a second time, she suspected her battery and had to call her husband, Jeremy, for a jump. Really? You're not going to say anything to that? No, it's a good story. I don't want to interrupt it. <laughs> no, like this one's creepy. So. No, I know, but called her husband Jeremy for a jump, and you have nothing to say. No, I don't want. I want to. I want the story to speak for itself. I'm disappointed. In Shut you. up and just tell the fucking story. Okay. When it happened a second time, she suspected her battery and had to call her husband Jeremy for a jump. It took her bones. <laughs> there, you happy? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm disappointed. Do I have to do it again now? Yep. Fine. That's what you get. Great movie. <laughs> never, saw, never saw it. It's weird. Uh, it's Jane Campion. She was pretty weird. Well, make naked Harvey Keitel. Mm, yeah. I've seen enough of that man's dick to last me a lifetime. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, well, that'll be edited. Oh, man. Oh, yeah.